Welcome to the church family that is lifting lives through living love, inspiring hope, filling with faith, and transforming our world. These recorded messages are made available so that you might have additional opportunities to stay connected with us, and then you might learn and grow in your faith. God bless you as you hear the word today. And now, the message. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40, the greatest commandment. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. The last day that we were in Jerusalem, this last fall, Jamie and I wanted to get a souvenir from a particular shop that was near the hotel that we just loved, the, the art and, the, and all the handmade items that were in this particular shop. And, and Jamie and I had gone in there a handful of times and not bought anything. We felt like, okay, this is our last day, our last chance we're going to get something. Problem was, is most of the stuff in that shop was way beyond our trip budget. And so we were like looking around and we finally settled on a Mezuzah. Now, do you guys know what a mezuzah is? Some of you do, some of you don't. A mezuzah is kind of the small box that you see affixed to many Jewish homes and, and, and gateways, right? And, and inside a mezuzah would be placed a tightly rolled parchment that contains two passages uh, from Deuteronomy from chapter 6 and chapter 11. Now, this parchment in and of itself is kind of interesting because it has to be written, uh, you know, according to kosher law, it has to be written on the skin of a ritually clean animal. And it has to be handwritten. It can't be printed off of a computer. It has to be handwritten by a scribe. Who is, who is you know, highly trained to write out these passages from Deuteronomy in 22 perfect lines of ancient Hebrew. Jamie and I learned, as we bought our mezuzah, that the parchment cost twice as much as the mezuzah cost. So we didn't end up saving a whole lot of money. But at that point, we didn't feel like we could kind of say, never mind. No, we, we, we kind of went ahead with the whole thing. Um, so on the flip side of the passages from Deuteronomy are written a single name, one of the names for God in the Old Testament, Shaddai. You might be familiar with it from Amy Grant's song, El Shaddai. But did you know that Shaddai is a composite word uh, composed of the first letters of this phrase in Hebrew, guardian of the doors or gates of Israel. So it's a composite name that, that represents that God is our guardian of, of the gates, the one who watches over our going out and our coming in. And so, you know, on, on the mezuzah is also the Hebrew letter Shin to represent Shaddai and also the Shema, the passage from Deuteronomy. And there, on, so the mezuzah is placed on the doorpost of a home because that's the dividing line between the swirling kind of chaos of the outside life and the sanctity and peace of the home. And it's not, you know, and it's not put directly upright, but indeed it is tilted inward as a way of representing the peace and law of, of God abiding over protecting the home inside. All this is done 
to practice quite literally the commandments that are in Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11. Keep these words, place them, these, these words I'm commanding you today, and keep them in your heart. If you go all the way down, it says, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The mezuzah is one way of living out that commandment. But I want to draw your attention because this, this passage, they're quite similar, Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11. And pay attention to the verbs in these passages. You have keep, put, recite, bind, talk, fix, teach, uh, write. Like it's, it's like these words, like God could not be more clear how important these words are and that what you're supposed to do with them. You're supposed to put them in your heart, fix them everywhere, teach, talk, bind, fix, work them into every aspect of your being in your home and in your heart when you lie down and when you get up, when you go out and when you come back home at all points of your life, these words are meant to be on your heart. And what are these words? Well, these words are the Shema, so-called because the first word of the Shema is Shema, which means hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love your, the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. These words represent one of the earliest creeds of the world, a statement of faith that is so crafted that it's meant to be memorized, pondered, carried into every aspect of your life, worked into every part of your daily rhythm. It's in one of the earliest creeds. And so when Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment? His answer was not an original answer. When he responds with the Shema, it's in line with centuries and centuries of rabbinic tradition. He says, it's easy, love the Lord your God with all your, love, with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment. But then Jesus goes beyond that. He says, and a second commandment is like it that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus makes two additions to the Shema. The first is the obvious one, that he adds a second commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, this is not an original thing that Jesus said. It actually comes from the Old Testament in Leviticus 19. The full passage, though, is that you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In fact, that last phrase, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, comes at the end of a whole passage describing what neighbor love looks like. And if you read through Leviticus 19, you'll see neighbor love. It involves like some of the big 10 commandments. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't slander or hurt your neighbor. But with What's interesting about it is in Leviticus 19, it has lots of people that you may not think of your neighbor, the foreigner who's hungry and desperate and looking for food on the edges of your field. You're to leave food for them in the edge. Love your neighbor as yourself. The worker who works your field that you might be tempted to oppress and rob with low wages. No, you're to pay them fairly a sustainable living wage. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The blind, the poor, the vulnerable, you shall love them too. And even your enemy, someone who has wronged you in such a way that you might want to hold a grudge against them. Don't do it. For even they are your neighbor and you must love your neighbor 
as yourself. And Jesus takes this passage from Leviticus and holds it together with a much better known Shema and says, these two things hang together. In fact, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two together. There's two sides of the same coin. You can't love God and hate your neighbor. If you love God, then you will love those who are created in his image. Now, that's the first addition that Jesus makes. Did you catch the second addition that Jesus makes? If you go back to it, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The original Shema just says heart, soul, strength. Jesus adds with all your mind. And in so doing, he incorporates you know, kind of an essential part of what it is to be human, that we have this unique capacity among all God's creatures to reflect upon and to understand and interpret our experience. And we're supposed to love God with our minds as well. In his book, The Life We're Looking For, Andy Crouch says, you know, if you look at the Shema, what Jesus does is he gives a very compact summary of what it means to be a human being. He says, every human person is a heart, soul, mind, strength, complex designed for love. A human person is not a mind without a heart. You're not a brain without a body. You're not a body without a soul, nor were you ever meant to be a soul without a body. You are all of these together. We are heart driven and drawn by desire, moved by passion and compassion. We are heart but we're also mind. We have this unique ability, different from any other creature, to reflect on the world, to remember, interpret our experience. We're soul. There's some part of us, a depth of being that is uniquely ours, an interior life that only we see and only partly available to others, and we are strength. That God gives us bodies to shape and move and, and, and remake the world. And, and the interesting thing about the, the Hebrew word Andy points out about strength, it doesn't mean physical strength. The, the Lord literally translates as muchness, fullness. The, 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 it's, the, the, the Hebrew word is meod. It means the fullness of our being. So we're supposed to take our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the fullness of who we are, and we're designed for love, to place and give all those things to God and then out of the strength of that God love, then to extend ourselves out into the world in his name and in his love. That's how God created us, designed us, commands us to live. And so as I said, the ancient Jews, the Shema for them represented a creed. And by a creed, I mean it was something they used liturgically, whenever they would gather together and worship in the synagogues, they would repeat the Shema together. When they, you know, in their private homes, when they entered and exited the buildings, they'd look at that mezuzah and they would recite the words of the Shema. It was part of their individual and their corporate worship. And the same thing happened for the earliest Christians. That they, you know, that the, you know, these words taken together, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourselves, for they became the earliest creed for Christians. That we would have said them when we gathered for worship together. We would have said them when we were sitting in our homes and we would have taught them to our children. It would have been the core of our faith. Now, author Scott McKnight, he suggests that later on, you know, a couple centuries go by, we start developing new creeds the creeds we often say in worship today, 
the Apostles' Creed, the much more complex, the Nicene Creed. And that these creeds became ways of kind of hammering out our beliefs, of kind of focusing on, on the content, especially how do we understand the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? He said, but the earliest creed, what he calls the Jesus Creed, wasn't focused on the content of our beliefs. It was focused on the practice of our faith. And so he started this practice, Scott McKnight did, where every morning and every night he would recite the Shema, Jesus' version of it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He'd do that every morning and every evening. And he said, I would then begin using it at any point during my day, whenever I felt myself getting distracted or frustrated, I would just kind of recite to myself those words. He says that he got up to the point if he was doing it 30 or 40 times a day, which might sound a little neurotic, right? But I started reading this book a handful of weeks ago, and it's a daily devotional. So it's 40 days, and I'm on like day 14 right now. But I've been trying every morning when I get up to recite the Shema, Jesus' version of it. And then when I go to bed at night to recite it again and then to use it whenever I need throughout the day. I'm not up to 30 or 40 yet, but I have, a mal I have discovered it's a beautiful practice that helps me kind of stay centered in God. But it's also opened up for me as I try to keep reciting the Jesus Creed. It's also kind of sometimes made me aware of how far I am from fulfilling it. Last week was Valentine's Day. And on Valentine's Day, I thought, you know, I'm going to show my love to my staff by having a lunch for them. And, uh, and I thought, you know, normally I would delegate this to Don, our lovely office manager. I would say, hey, Don, will you help me do a meal? And she would order everything. I said, no, I'm going to do this because this is my act of love. So I ordered the food. I didn't cook it. I should have, you know, like that would be real love. But anyways, I ordered the food online from a restaurant. I'm not going to tell you what, which you'll see why soon. I ordered uh, the, the food, cupcakes from one place and, the, and a meal from the other. And at noon, I went and picked up the cupcakes. And then when I went to the other restaurant to pick up, you know, the main food or whatever. I went, you know, to the cashier and I, you know, at first there's a place where all the pickups are supposed to be. Nothing was there, empty shelves. So I went to the cashier and there was a young woman there. And I said, excuse me, I'm here to pick up my, my catering order supposed to be ready at noon. And she said, oh, um, I need to chop your chicken. Your chicken isn't chopped yet. I said, okay. And she said, just be a few minutes. I said, okay. So then I just stepped back and I watched as this young woman kind of went back you know, to the back of the kitchen restaurant prep area. And she took off a receipt from a, from a little printer that I assume was the printer that, you know, kind of tracks online catering orders. And I watched as she took the receipt off and began from scratch to prepare my meal that was for the whole staff. And, and I watched. I will say there was not a whole lot of hustle in this young woman that I could see, not a lot of hurry. You know, she was doing it. She didn't, she was doing it, but she was doing it. And, and there were, she would make so many multiple trips back to the, to the fridge or, you know, the, the walk in and come back. And then she'd forget something and walk back again. And, and sometimes she would, you know, like fumble around looking in the cabinets. And at one point, I mean, like I'm watching her, like it took her forever just to get the, the plates, napkins and, and cutlery, you know, and, and, 30 minutes, I sat there 
And I watched as people who were behind me in line came through, received their food, sat down, ate their meal, and left, and I'm still waiting. And at no point did any of the employees come to me and say, hey, we're so sorry, sir, this has taken forever. Can we offer you a drink while you wait? Like, nothing like that, right? And so you want to guess when this lady, kind of this young woman brought the big bag of food that was for our staff, how, what do you think my level of neighbor love was at in that moment? It was whatever neighbor love I had, it did not include her or that staff. And I didn't yell, but I know my whole being radiated frustration and anger. And as I grabbed my food, something came over me and I thought, I'm taking this cup. She didn't offer me a drink. I'm taking a cup. So I grabbed a cup and I went over and I filled the drink. And as I'm feeling it, I, filling the drink, I'm just thinking, please say something. Like, please say, sir, you need to pay for this drink because I was locked and loaded. I was ready to go. No one, they read the room. No one said a word to me. And I walked out with my drink and my food. And, uh, and, I, and I, I thought I was okay until like two hours later, I got the automated email that said, how did we do serving you today, sir? And I just, you know, online, just like everything just poured out. Like, you know, and it, do you want us to contact you? No. It, it, like, it, good day, sir. Submit. You know, like I just was like, yeah, all right, whatever. Now, I feel better talking about it with you now. <laughs> but I'll be honest, at that moment when I just like submit, right? How do you think? Did I feel good? No. Actually, I felt terrible. And I felt terrible because I had set out that morning to love. I, I wanted to love my staff, right? Like, and yet in 30 minutes, I got so far off center. You want to hear the great irony? The whole time I'm waiting for my food, and I'm walking this woman, walking back and forth. I'm saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Like I'm trying to, to, to reel it in. And I couldn't. And I say this first off to say the Jesus Creed is not like a magic intonation that makes us all good. Like it, it didn't work or really it's not that it didn't work. It's like I still failed to live up to it. But kind of reflecting on that experience, I, I kind of realized, you know, the Jesus Creed, it is a command, but it's also a call. It's an invitation for us to be in relationship with a creator who forgives us when we fail, who wipes the slate clean and gives us an opportunity to try, try again. And ultimately it's to be in relationship with the only one who could ever bring our mind and our heart and our soul and our strength into alignment with his love and his being. That's what it's about. And so um, I'm going to invite you during this season of Lent. I know you've probably already decided what you're going to give up. Some of you have already broken that vow and you're looking for a new one this evening and that's okay. I just want to invite you. Try saying the Jesus Creed with me. Every morning, every night, and every place in between where you need it. If you want to read this book with me, I'm a couple 
weeks ahead of you, but um, you're welcome to pick up this book. Uh, we have copies out in the back. I've enjoyed reading it. It has really been beneficial to me. It may not sound like it based on the story I just told, but it has been. Um, I haven't read to the end, so I don't know how it ends, so I hope it's good. Um, but whether you get the book, whether you join a small group, whether you, you know, you may not have a mezuzah, but I do hope that you can work with me this season of Lent to fix in our hearts, to fix in our families, to fix in our homes. The idea that we're called to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And if we can fix those words and put them into practice, we'll walk maybe just a little bit closer with Jesus this season of Lent. Amen.